All right. Welcome to another episode of the Prosperous Man podcast. And we've got a special guest with us today. So I want to take a minute and I want to introduce Mr. Ray Blakeney. And I'm going to just go into it, tell you guys a little bit about him. So Ray is, I'm going to read from his bio. Ray is like, Ray is probably like every other award-winning Filipino-American entrepreneur who grew up in Turkey, lives in Mexico. Whew. Like, because you because you come across that all the time. All the time. So, I mean, come on. I'm, I'm just your average average Joe, right? Right. So Ray is joining us today because he has started multiple businesses, started his first one with his wife and business partner back in 2008. He has since started multiple six and seven figure online businesses, um, doing most of it actually kind of where you see him now, doing it most of it from home, being able to, to do that. And so he's joining us today. Um, he's been featured in Forbes, been on numerous podcasts. Uh, some of his businesses, it's the start of a new year. You may have come across it, but one of his businesses, kind of top business, if I'm not mistaken, is Live Lingua. That's so right. those yeah. of you out there wanting to learn a second language, wanting to probably go back and take seriously those Spanish classes you learned <laughs> in high school. So this is where you want to pick up and start your refresher. You need to go visit Live Lingua. And he's got that. He's got Twitikate. It's a social network for schools with over 200,000 registered users. That's awesome. Yeah. So... Ray is joining us today, so he's got a host of other things he's doing, he's working on, a proud father, husband. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Prosperous Man podcast. I really appreciate it. Lito, thanks for having me on. I look forward to chatting with you. Yes. So the reason I, I wanted Ray to come on and join us today is, you know, kind of at the Prosper Man podcast and what we're looking to do here, what we're looking to talk and grow about is starting, you started this business or starting one of your business with your wife. And I find that just so interesting because so many people, you know, when you're, especially when you're married, one person will be the entrepreneur. One person will be the stable at home. I'm going to work, make sure we have steady income coming in so uh -huh. kind of tell me you know how do you how'd you guys get to that point where like okay we're gonna jump in this together and kind of how you guys came to that decision yeah i wish i could tell you there was this like big discussion we had and there was all this planning going out there but honestly we launched our first business a week before we got married together in the same wow. building we got married because when we got married and started our first business, we only had $2,000 in our bank account. So we could not afford to launch a business and throw a wedding. So I'm like, Hey, we're already renting this building out for our school. Let's just have it here. So we were in Mexico at the time. So my wife's Mexican. She's went to, went to university in the United States. So she speaks fluent English, but we were starting the school in here and we're like, okay, we have the school. What's the cheapest food we can get? taco ladies. So we got it catered by these taco ladies who made handmade tortillas and had all these fillings for the tacos. And that was our food. We rented tables that my wife and I, those folding tables that my wife and I had to kind of fold and put the, all the plates out because we didn't have any waiters doing this. And I made a playlist on like, back then it was like a, what do you call that? The I, what was that? 
the MP3 player that the, 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 the that Apple came out with. I can't. oh, an uh, iPod. iPod. There you go. So I had an iPod. I picked it up. The speakers. That that was our DJ. That's it. That's how we launched our first business, and that's how we launched our marriage together. Um, we didn't really know what we were getting into, and I tell people. Now, looking back, if you're going to start a business with your wife, there are only two possible outcomes, either a really strong relationship, which I bet I'm guessing is about 20% or divorce, which is probably 80%. Now we've been married for 13, 14 years. So we're lucky we fell into that, but it wasn't like we knew what we were getting into when we started, right? It wasn't that we researched and planned and all that kind of stuff. We thought okay, a lot of the first year. jumped in. We jumped right in there. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you're newly married starting this business how how do you balance it all because you know your newly married phase is supposed to be the, <laughs> the you know, that's supposed period. to be the honeymoon period everything <laughs> is lovely everything is great you know how do you guys balance everything during that time okay so let's see we were dating for two years we had lived together for about a year before that right so they're that kind of Luckily, we didn't have that to overcome. If you're just moving in with each other after you get married, that's also another big hurdle, right? Because you're getting mm -hmm. used to each other's habits. We did not have that. I think there's two things that helped us through that period. I mentioned that we actually fought a lot, right? For the first year or so. I actually give credit to that for my wife. And let me say why. It's actually a good thing because she's a Latina and she doesn't let anything slide. I'm an American and I avoid conflict like the plague, right? I mean, I'm like, I do not want to argue about anything. That's not actually healthy in a relationship is what I've, I've learned through experience, right? When her and I fought, we fought about something that was bothering us in the moment. That's something we don't do in the US. We let it slide. Yeah. The good thing about that is if you imagine a pressure cooker, we're, we were letting off steam, right? This thing right now is bothering me. We fight, we make up, we're fine, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to, I'm going to call it the American method, which is you just ignore everything for like a year, two years, three years, then something explodes. And you're like, for the last five years, you've been doing this and you've been doing yeah. that to me. <laughs> that causes a lot of friction in relationships mm. in the long term. If you learn how to argue correctly, which I was taught by my wife, you know, not, it wasn't something that I knew beforehand. That actually, while uncomfortable in the moment, I think is great for a long-term relationship after wow. that. The second thing is we were very clear on our goals when we launched the business. We were doing it for financial freedom. Um, not neither one of us grew up with very much money. So, you know, we wanted to be able to get to a place because we love traveling that would just allow us to travel the world. And at our age, we were in our late 20s when we did this, about 28, 29 we knew this was the time to do it. We didn't have kids yet. This is, you know, we'll launch it. We can, we can put in 60, 70, 80 hour weeks right now. So we don't have to in the long term, right? So we don't have to do that when we're 40, which is how old I am now, or in 50 or 60 or 70, right? So we're not 80 and we're still, we're having to work because we can't pay the bills. We both had that very clear in our mind. So when we launched the school, we're like, yeah. And we would, yeah, for the first three years we ran that business, we did not have a vacation. We had weekends off occasionally, but on the summer, since the summer was the high season, we would work 90 days straight. I would give tours on the weekends. So we wow. would work 90 days straight every single summer um, for the first three years that we launched that business. And it, I mean, I'm not going to say it was easy. It was a ton right. of work. It was rough. Even financially speaking, I'm a computer engineer. My wife is a bilingual teacher. We would have made more money if we went back to the U.S. and just got jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I saw, there's not enough software engineers in the U.S. and there's not enough teachers that speak Spanish and English in the U.S. either. Yeah. We would have gotten jobs like that. And yep. we would have made a lot more money. So, you you know, we had to keep those visions clear when we were working on this. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, that's 
that part about being able to kind of like fight in the moment is huge because I, I think that's a big key is like, you know, when it's your marriage, you don't learn to communicate. And that's it. We, we wait until things kind of get to that boiling point and then want it to explode. Mm-hmm. So being able to learn to communicate, even if it is a fight, a frustration, whatever that's it is it. in the moment, I, I can see the benefit of that because you're able Absolutely. to move on right away to the next business matter, the next, you Personal know, matter. Yeah. So, wow. Okay. So you guys are married, you're in this business for a couple years and we'll jump ahead a little bit. Cause now you are father. How are, how, how is the balancing between husband, father, business owner, like, is there such a thing as balance? I think there's balance, but there's no separation, right? Mm. So a lot of us are growing up the whole, you know, work, separate your work and your personal life. Yeah. That always sounded strange to me, right? Because if I had a bad day at work, it's not like I suddenly come home and forget about it and everything's fine. Or if you're having trouble at home, it's not like you go to work and suddenly everything's fine. There is no separation. We're one human being. It's not like we're, you know, split personality where we just kind of flip a personality when it becomes nine o'clock and we do it to five. Yeah. So for a long time, I thought that was weird. So it's never actually been something that we've striven for, striven for. I don't even know. In my defense, English is my third language. So that's what I use whenever I make a grammatical mistake. Um, So what we have done instead is we've tried to build a holistic life that involves everything. So I know we're a little lucky in a few senses, right? We, stumbled upon so our first business was brick and mortar but within a year we had launched an online version of our school which is what became live lingua and now almost all of our businesses are online we've in the beginning coincidentally and later on purpose built what they now call lifestyle businesses they're getting kind of a bad rap as lifestyle business kind of sounds like well you're just sitting on the beach and you're not doing anything and all the rest of it right but We've been lucky. We built seven figures, almost multi seven figures this year. Well, I guess last year, um, lifestyle businesses. So these are serious businesses. The only difference is we don't have a physical office and we can do them from anywhere. We have over 150 staff members and every single staff member is the same. Our work did not change when COVID hit. And I'm like, oh, okay. Wow. I mean, you know, it's, it's been the same, but we've been doing this now for 12 years. Okay. That's what building this life is about. So I'm not going to say I, I work about 10 hours a day, but I can take off anytime I want. I can stop working after this call. I can, you know, work a little bit tomorrow morning or I just don't work the rest of the week. It's on me and all of my staff has the same impetus. That allows you to choose the balance. If my son is crying right now, you know, I can go over there and just be with him, which you couldn't be if you were sitting in an office, right? If there was somebody who'd be sick, I'm taking next week off, right? So I can take care of him. My wife has that option as well. We both work at home. That's one of the flexibilities we have with this online business and this lifestyle business thing. The second flexibility we have and we're taking advantage of is the flexibility of location. And this one takes a little bit of courage, especially for people who haven't traveled this much before, or maybe who've been born and grew up in the same location. I know it's very hard to kind of move somewhere else, but if you, can try it because you can always go back, right? There's nothing that says I'm going to move and I can never go back to where I came from, but you'd be surprised at the opportunities that you might find somewhere else. So the easiest one is let's say you started your online business and it's making $2,000 a month. 
mm-hmm. right? Where you live, Lido, I believe in Michigan, right? Two thousand yep. dollars a month. Yeah, you're not. You can't live, right? That you're not quitting your yeah. day job. Just not quitting my day job for that. No. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. But if you are willing to move to Mexico, where I am right now, somewhere in Latin America, go to the beach, go to Puerto Vallarta, sit and look out at the beach with your family. $2,000 now makes you middle upper class, if not upper class. You have a maid, wow. you live in a nice house, you have high speed internet connections. We're not talking so rich that people are, you know, people are gonna rob you, but it's middle upper class. Mm. You just changed your life. You now could focus yourself full time on this, your, you know, your side hustle. Which yeah. make two thousand? Get it up to five thousand. Get it up to ten thousand. Then you can move back home, right? You can move back to wow. Michigan afterwards. But now you're moving back to Michigan with the same freedom you had in Mexico, making ten thousand dollars a year, and you were able to do so because you moved to Mexico for a year, or moved to Colombia for a year, or moved to Bali for a year, right? These cheaper mm-hmm. places in the world that have great internet, amazing food. Um, if you have kids like us, imagine kids can grow up bilingual. I mean, they're going to be fluent in Spanish and English. Um, in fact, my wife and I are looking to move to Taiwan probably in two years, because we want our son to be trilingual. He's going to be fluent wow. in Mandarin, Spanish, and English, like a native speaker by the time he's five years old. That's awesome. And imagine the flexibility and the, you know, that not only gives your son, but also gives you guys. Suddenly you have much more freedom. You have more free time. Yeah. To answer your question, that what that allows us to do, here in Mexico, we have a cleaner, we have a cook, and we have a nanny. We don't have to worry about making our meals. We don't have to do that. We even have a personal assistant who kind of does our errands around the city for us. Wow. That's how we're able to balance it. And, you know, it's not like we're taking in millions of dollars, right? Anybody mm-hmm. who makes an app, you know, what would be the average sale in the U.S. could afford most of these things here in Mexico and have a very nice lifestyle while they're there. Those are the two things that we do in order to kind of balance all this stuff out. And it's because we work online that we're able to do that. Wow. That's, I mean, <laughs> mind blown because that, that is, that's, you know, I think what COVID has shown most people is that, you know, you can't really depend on the quote unquote, quite a nine to five to always be there. And there is, I think there's, it's a lot of people that are coming to that realization, like, okay, I want to be able to have my own thing. And then, you know, where, how do I start that? What do I do? And what you just painted was just like an awesome picture of being able to you know, what, you know, I live in West Michigan. So it's like, what? It's getting cold right now. You know, the beach oh, probably sounds real good. This so. sounds great. I feel like I'm looking <laughs> at snow. So, but you did, it was just an awesome painting of a picture of, you know, making $2,000 a month here doesn't allow me to really do anything, but going someplace else for, you know, a year or two years or whatever and building up that online business, then, you can always come back. And I think sometimes it's that leaving part. People are scared to leave. That's what I was mentioning. Exactly. People are scared, you know, because people watch the news and one, don't watch the news. Um, you know, <laughs> yes. that, that's the first thing. Uh, I used to watch the news first thing in the morning. I worked with a personal coach and that was like the first thing he told me to stop doing. He was like, stop, stop watching the news okay. because their business is built on fear. Doesn't matter which news you, you know, where you put politics lie and all the rest of it, it's built on fear. They're not yeah. going to tell you, hey, there's 150 million people living safe in Mexico. They will right. tell you 10 people were killed yesterday in some rural village or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, as somebody who's grown up overseas, I lived in Cleveland, Ohio for a bit. We chatted in the last one. Trust me, there were parts of Cleveland I would not go after a certain hour, right? I mean, you know, it's right. the same in the US. There, there's places you just don't go. Don't. Mexico is the same. You can go mm-hmm. to most places. 150 million people live in perfect safety. There's not much of an issue. Um, 
you know, the issues that a lot of Mexicans have, foreigners will not have. Like, for example, getting your driver's license in Mexico is kind of a pain because there's little briberies involved. You don't need to worry about it. You're here as a tourist, right? <laughs> I mean, this is not something that you have to worry about. You rent your place out on Airbnb. You don't have to worry about, you know, mm -hmm. any of the local rental stuff. Um, you're not looking to live here and become a citizen. You're just looking to kind of, you know, save money, maybe immerse yourself in the culture. Tacos, tacos are amazing food. I mean, you know, that, you know, you instead of going to fast food in the United States and paying 10 bucks for your McDonald's happy meal for the kids. You can go out and get some tacos for like a dollar 50 and fill everybody up. I mean, right. you know, that, that's a much better way to live. Um, and the other thing is a shift in mindset, right? Because we think $2,000 isn't a lot of money, but you have to finish that sentence. $2,000 isn't a lot of money in Michigan, just like you said. Right. My cousins, so I'm half Filipino. So my cousin went, you know, graduated from one of the top universities in the Philippines and works for Texas Instruments as an engineer. He makes $500 a month with a bag of rice as an engineer. So wow. just like in the US, an engineer and puts them in upper class, or maybe, you know, yeah. either middle upper class or lower upper class, you know, lower upper class, but he's well off. If you went wow. there and were making $2,000 a month in the Philippines, woof, you are the 1%. I wow. mean, you are like, you know, yeah, that's, you know, huge amount. Now there are obviously sacrifices you have to do. Internet's not that great in the Philippines and all the rest of it. I wouldn't necessarily recommend Philippines. I'm a Filipino as a place to go, but I'm just using it as an example. There are other yeah. places in the world that you can do exactly the same thing without really giving out much. Portugal is doing great. Portugal costs about a third of what the United States does. And I've heard great things about people who are living in Lisbon, the digital nomad community. Lisbon's becoming a big hub. Great wow. internet, you know, and you can fly directly to the U.S. West to the East Coast of the U.S. in five hours. I mean, you know, you're, you're back That's home. Not bad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so there's all these places. You just pick a place that kind of matches your personality and what you're looking for out of life. And it's easy. I like Latin America, same time zone as the United States, right? So okay. whether you're in Mexico, like you and I lead over in the same, same time zone right now, right? Yep. Go to Colombia, you might be one or two hours in advance, but any work you're doing in the US, it doesn't really suffer. You might have to start work an hour earlier, but mm -hmm. then you end an hour earlier and have more than night. Wow. I mean, that's just, it's a completely different way of thinking about it and it, it really does come to just perspective and wow, I'm just, I'm just having a moment. Like, okay. Like, cause I think everybody, I think everybody has that moment where you want something different. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people kind of struggle. Okay. Like, well, how do I get there? Yeah. That actually brings up for me, I was the same thing. Right. So I went to school in the U you know, I grew up overseas, but I went to university in the United States and I got a job after college because Kind of that's what our parents told us to that's do, right? I'm guessing do, yeah. we're, you know, we're like, we're in the same age range. It's like, that's what you do. You get a job at a good company and you work there 30 years and they give you a yeah. watch at the end of it and you, you retire or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So I did that. So I, you know, I did, I did a tour of duty, what I call a tour of duty in Silicon Valley, you know, did two years out there, <laughs> kind of worked and then got a job at a Fortune 100 company in the IT department they were selling. Uh -huh. Uh, I'll limit it down. They, they were selling paint. So there's probably only two companies in the world that you know, <laughs> probably follow, but I won't give their name out. Um, and they treated me really well. Don't get me wrong. It always won. Like, you know, there's that list, of the top 50 companies in the world to work for. They were always on that list. They treated us really well. But it wasn't very fulfilling, right? So I did my job well. We sold more paint. UP. I'm like, no. I mean, right. what if I did my job? And I didn't even see it, right? Because I was writing like the back end systems for the sales department so that they could track their, you know, all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. I never saw them sell more paint. I just, you know, I was a small cog in a very, very big wheel. Um, and it wasn't very fulfilling. So I remember the exact moment that shifted my life. There was a commercial on the t on TV for the US Navy. Um, and I had no intention of joining the Navy because I'll be honest, in all my respect to the people in the armed forces, my uncle, you know, was in the military and just retired. But 
if somebody shoots at me, I run the other way as fast as physically possible, right? So I'm like, army might not be the way for me to go. But the quote was, if they were to write a book about your life, would anybody want to read it? Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there thinking about it. It was like the middle of the work week. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do tomorrow? I'm going to go back to my cube and write code. And on this path, 30 years from now, I'm still going to be probably maybe in a bigger cube, maybe if I'm lucky, a corner office with a small window, managing people who write code. I mean, you know, right. that's going to be the next step. That's like the final iteration of my life. And I'm like, I wouldn't read that book. I'm like, well, that book is not. So, you know, literally at the end of that, I, I within a week, I had quit my job and I'd applied for the USP score to be, move overseas um, wow. because I'm just like, this is not the path I want to go on. And I don't want, you know, I don't want to look back on the rest of my life and say, yeah, this is, I did not live an interesting life. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think we all have those moments mm -hmm. where we kind of, you know, you get to that and you're like, okay, am I, I was listening, watching, listening to a podcast, watching a YouTube video, something like that. But this guy was kind of at that moment, kind of like where you were talking about. And he was like, he was like, um, I wrote myself a contract that if I don't do anything this year, then I am resigning to accept my life as it is right now. That's it. And that, to me, it was, it was kind of like that same moment, like that's so powerful. Like if I'm not willing to do what it takes to change, then I have to accept and be okay that this is where it is. Exactly. And the most difficult place to be when you're in making this decision is to be where things are okay. And that's where I was as well, right? If things are going badly, yeah, you might, you know, you're like, oh, things are awful, I'm gonna go. It's easier to make mm -hmm. a decision there, right? If things are going great, you don't wanna make it. But most of us are stuck in this middle ground when things are fine. Yep. And that is really hard to break out of, right? Because it's comfortable. Yeah, I have a house, my yeah. kids are in school, and I could keep doing this on autopilot for the next 20 or 30 years. Yeah having kids changes it too. Is that what you want to, you know, I'm asking all the listeners, is that what you want to teach your kids that yeah. just get to okay and then just ride it out for the rest of your life? For me personally, that's not the example I wanted to set for my son, right? I right. want you to be who you want to be and have the freedom to do it. Yeah. Whether it's a business person is irrelevant. You can be an artist, musician. Uh, yeah. Most of my family are academics and artists. So I'm just like, yeah, do that. That's perfectly fine but I want you to be in a place that you feel comfortable making those decisions and you don't feel like I got to do this because this is what society makes me do. Don't get me wrong. He's got to go to college after that. Then he's got all the choices you want, but you still got to go to college. Um, you know, you can study whatever you want, but graduate and then, you know, kind of, and then you can you see, see what you exactly want then you can do it. But even in college, I mean, you know, if you, if you start a child like this at the young age and you find that they do love art, they do love music, you, yeah. you push that while they're doing it. So when they go to college, they're really studying something they love. For me, it wasn't like that. It worked out. It was computers. I don't hate it. I, you know, I, mm -hmm. I like computer programming and it's very useful at this day and age to know how to code, right? Because you can kind yeah. of do a lot of school stuff, but yeah. that wasn't my passion. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, cause I, I'll speak kind of for myself is like, we're, we're very similar is that my kids are a little older than yours, mm -hmm. but it's very much at that time, like, okay, what do I have to do now to be able to give them that freedom? That's it. And it's like, okay, cause I don't, I like my job. I'm a social worker kind of by trade. So I like being able to help people. I like being able to kind of serve my community in that way. But also, I don't necessarily want that to be the kind of design path for my kids. I want to be able to give them the freedom. And I've, 
I think most parents are kind of like that. You want your child to be able to do mm-hmm. what they want to do, be able to follow their passion. But it's that sense of kind of comfortability where we find ourselves that, like you said, it's very hard to break out of. Because I think if we're honest, most of us are, you know, by the time we're in our 30s, most of us are better off than where our parents were. That's it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get used to kind of comparing yourself to where your parents were at that age. Like, well, yeah, I've got a decent house or an apartment. We got a car or two. Kind of like you said, the kids are in good schools, decent schools. Like, it's very easy to be comfortable. That's yeah. the hardest place to break out of. Um, and you know, remember, the, the one of the things that helped me do it, and it might help a lot of the listeners as well. Remember, no, almost nothing in life is permanent. So for example, in your case, you're a social worker. My sister's a social worker in DC. So, you know, I have a little bit of an insight into, into how these things work. What she did was, you know, she took a year off and she did social work, but she did it overseas, right? So she was able to, you know, she went on um, sabbatical and she works for the government. So they allow you to mm-hmm. do those kinds of things, right? Yeah. yeah. So she went on, she did that overseas. She doesn't have kids, but in your case, you could do it. So you homeschool for a year, you take them overseas. But they also volunteer with you. So they get to really see what the rest of the world is like. It will change their lives. Um, I believe it's Ernest Hemingway who says nothing kills ignorance like travel. I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) Yeah, like a react. There you go. You know it. Yeah. So, um, but I find that to be absolutely true. A story that from my experience was so I grew up traveling. So kind of it was in me. But my wife, she'd been to the US and she'd been to Mexico. That was it. So I remember about eight years ago, we went to the Philippines for the first time. It was her first time in Asia. And a lot of people in Mexico think, oh, we're such a poor country. One, they're not. It's G20. They're one of the 20 richest countries in the world. They just feel poor because they're next to the United States, which is richer, right? I mean, right. it's like, you know, if you have a nice house next to a really nice house, you feel like you're right. poor. Right, you feel like you have nothing. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, <laughs> even if you have a BMW and Mercedes and the guy next door has a Ferrari, you're like, oh, poor me. I only have a BMW and a Mercedes. That's kind of mm-hmm. Mexico's situation. Um, and so I took her to the Philippines and then she saw real poverty. I mean, the Philippines, yes, is a very poor yeah. country. Um she was almost crying by the time we drove in Cebu City from the airport to my aunt's house. We, we have to drive by some slums. And there are these kids just in underwear, like covered in trash, playing in trash heaps that are just there. Hundreds of them that you see all over the place. And she was like, oh, my God. So we just came back to Mexico. And now we're on, aunt and uncle says, oh, Mexico, we're so poor. She's like, you have no idea. You have yeah. no idea what being poor is. That's what travel does. That's what travel will do if you, you know, if the listeners take your, their kids overseas. They're going to be much more thankful for what they have back in the United States. Even the poorest person in the US, I'm parap- not maybe not the poorest, but even people who are poor in the US are well off by most US standards. If you make the average US income, you are the 0.1% on the planet. If you make $40,000 yeah, a year, absolutely. you are 0.1%. And I've, I've seen that because I took a, right kind of when me and my wife first got married, I took a mission trip to, um, I went end up going to Ghana, oh, in Africa. Yeah. And we saw, you know, helping to like kind of put together hospitals and doing some things there and kind of like that same experience of traveling through some of these kind of once you get outside of you know kind of like the main part of like the the city that you're in and you start to see where people live and how they're living is like okay even our kind of quote-unquote poor people have it better than some of these areas and you know you see how, you know, 20, 30 people living in a hut, then there's yeah. no bathroom, there's no running water. And they might not even be the poorest of the poor in that country. I mean, they have a house. Right. I mean, you know, that might even put them above, 
some of the yeah. other people in that country. The Philippines is exactly the same thing that you see there. Uh, my dad grew up in Africa and he was, you know, he was talking about similar things as well. That's exactly it. So, you know, yeah. I strongly encourage, you know, you to take your kids on a similar mission trip because yeah. it will change their life. Just seeing yeah. that will change their life. Awesome. So what would you, what would you recommend or what are your thoughts like to help people kind of get out of that comfortable spot? being willing to take that chance, even if, you know, mm -hmm. if they've got kids, if they, because we're all in different stages. So mm -hmm. what would you advise somebody to being able to take the so jump? I'll start by saying, yeah, don't do what I do. I'm much more of a jump in the deep end of the pool, learn how to swim <laughs> kind of person. And I don't recommend that for most people. Um, you know, when I launched my business, I had no idea how to launch a business. I'm like, eh, let's just do it. We'll figure it out as we go. When I quit my, you know, almost six figure engineering job. And I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna work in the Peace Corps for $150 a month. So, you know, that's not necessarily what I recommend for most people. What I recommend for most people is do it on trial runs, right? So if this is something that interests you, um, doesn't matter where you are in your life, you know, do it for two weeks. So you have two weeks of vacation days coming up, plan the quote unquote vacation as a mini trip to what you aspire, maybe a long-term trip to be. So if you want to work on your mm. business for two weeks, don't take your vacation as, Go and sit on the beach and stare out at, you know, trust me, I do that. I mean, I, those are good. But by three or four days in, you're sort of like, I kind of want to do something now, right? I mean, right. you know, the, yeah. the beach, just staring out is a little boring after a while. <laughs> so spend two weeks and do that. So in your case, let's say do a volunteer trip for two weeks. Hmm. Make sure in, the, in between in the middle, you guys have a nice little vacation where you are maybe on right. the beach and you're staring at it. But you do a volunteer trip. See how the family hmm. reacts to it in a country that you could potentially like to, you know, potentially move to. Mm -hmm. Then if that works for two weeks, do it for a month then try a three month period. And once you get to three months and if you still like the idea somewhere, that's the point to take the leap. So I would recommend okay. two weeks, one month, three months. Um, and this might take three years, right? Because most of us right. can't just take that many vacations in one year. So over the next three years, you kind of try this thing out, see how, see how the shoe fits. If it doesn't, you know, you do two weeks, that's okay. You're not quite sure you go for a month and you're like, no, that's not for us. Try something else. It might take you a few tries to find it. But when you do, it could be life-changing. That's awesome. I hadn't thought about that. Like a trial. It is like a trial run. That's it. Do a trial run. There's you're no risk at all, right? Worst case scenario, you waste two weeks. That's mm -hmm. it. That's the only thing that happens is you waste two weeks. But and that that's very much, you know, that's very true. Any vacation where you're just kind of going sitting on the beach, by the third day, you're like, all right. Um That's it. We, that's what else it. are we going to do? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. And then the flip side of the vacation that you, you know, a lot of people do is the go, go, go vacation where every day they're seeing something new. Yeah, that worked maybe in your 20s. But once you get in your 30s and your 40s, I'm like, you get back from those and you're like, I need a vacation. I'm just so exhausted. Yeah, I'm just so, so, you know, I like these kind of trial vacations. Um, my wife and I like doing volunteer vacations. We volunteer to school for the deaf every year for a week. Um, and, but that's vacation because we're not working. So those mm -hmm. kind of things really help us. And it sees, you know, it gives us an idea of what we want to do for the next stage in our life. We'd like to become, we'd like to start our own charitable organization um, kind of as the next mm -hmm. phase in our life, probably another 10, 15 years before we do that. But that's kind of what we're working towards. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, let me see if I got any other questions. <laughs> No, this has been a great conversation. So I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So um, random, but not. I saw you are 
a semi-professional sword fighter? I saw it in your bio. Yeah. I was like, I wanted to ask about this. So <laughs> this is completely different. This is just going to indulge me a moment. So might be related to, uh, <laughs> to, to some of the other discussions that we had. So yes, I have been practicing Japanese sword fighting, something called Kendo and Iaido for going on about 20 years now. Um, I was actually there. There's a brand. Kendo is competitive. It's okay. not very well known outside of Japan, but I was, you know, I was sent to try out for the U.S. national team in my 20s. Got knocked out really early in the first few rounds, so I never got to the U.S. national team, but I was at least good enough in my federation that they sent me to, hey, give it a yeah. shot kind of thing, right? Um, so there's two aspects to it. Kendo, which is the, you know, the competitive part. If anybody's interested, go on Google videos. It's actually, you wear gear that makes you look like you're like out of Star Wars and because it's, because it's full contact. It's a full contact. Okay. It's, yeah, you take these bamboo kind of four bamboo slats I have one over there and you hit each other you, you have like target scoring points and you'll come away okay. with welts and bruises and all that kind of stuff you don't if you go against beginners because they have very little control advanced people don't hit us hard because they control it right when you mm -hmm. hit it you got the point you kind of pull it away um, I won't say there's any practical use to it unless you don't have a gun and I have a sword yeah I probably win but otherwise <laughs> there's no I don't think there's very many scenarios where that's actually going to happen and then there's a second side which is Yaido which is more about forms and that's more meditative it's you kind of work your way okay. through forms and you perfect it there are only 10 forms that you work on one of the things I like about kendo um, that applies to life in kendo there are only four attacks in the entire mm -hmm. martial art and you spend 50 years working on perfecting those there are no defense there's there's no block in kendo because if you're blocked the philosophy is if you're blocking, there's only two possible outcomes, that the enemy doesn't hit you or that they do hit you, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But if you're attacking, so what they teach you is to attack when somebody else attacks you, because in that case, there's two outcomes, that nobody scores or you score, right? So the, the, what they teach you is to be more kind of on the offense and less just kind of sitting back and waiting for somebody to do it. You can't win. You'll never move ahead if you do something like that. So yeah, I've been practicing for many years. This meditation is a big part of Kendo. You meditate in the beginning of the end of every class. I love it. Um, and it also related to what we we're talking about for a happy marriage and stress. I literally get to hit people over the head with a stick for about four <laughs> hours a week. So I know you can pay a psychologist a lot of money to be allowed to do that. Or you can do Kendo, which is for free everywhere in the US mm -hmm. because nobody does it for money. Um, and really, you know, yeah. Yeah, actually, we were talking about me being in your area. You know, I was in your area to come up for a you know kendo tournament every year. That's how I was. I was uh, in Nile, Niles, um, so I'm not sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's not too far. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And in Ann Arbor, they had a tournament too, so I went up there as well. So there are clubs near you if you ever want to try it. It's absolutely free. Nobody charges for kendo. There might be a small fee. It helps to rent whatever facility they're mm -hmm. in. But there's no, it's not like karate or taekwondo where it's a profit making thing. Everybody does it out of passion. My four senseis here in Mexico, pure luck. They're like married to Japanese. They're Mexican, but you know they lived in Japan for twenty years. Yeah. All the rest. They're two doctors, one college professor. It's just a hobby. They do it on the side. They I mean, you know, wow. that's everybody in Kendo's like that. Okay. Very interesting. I did not know that. <laughs> okay. It's very unknown. I I stumbled across it. I tried like ten martial arts until I found Kendo. I'd never heard of it before. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's interesting because me and my wife were literally just having this conversation of kind of like starting our son with something and yeah, whether it's going to be karate or I only know karate. So it's like, I don't know anything outside of that. Let him try different stuff. Go to, how old is your oldest son? Because for He's your six. four year old is so my on the young six, side, but it yeah. could be, um, okay. it, it, but it teaches a lot of discipline in Japan. They start them at that age. You can look up, mm. look up kids doing kendo. It's the cutest thing. Uh, you know, the, the okay. little guys going up there. Um, but it teaches discipline. It's great cardiovascular exercise. One thing I mentioned, you know, if you and your wife ever want to try, it is the only martial art that's actually, um, I'm gonna, what's, I don't know what the best word, but co-ed. 
since you're okay. using weapons, there is actually no division. So you women fight against men and men fight against women because the advantage we have as men of strength is not really something when you're fighting somebody with the sword. Um, so there are women, you go to tournaments, there's a women division, but women also compete in the men's division. There is no wow. men's only division in Kendo. Okay. And when you practice, you all practice together. There's no, right. women fight this way and men fight this way. Everybody fights the same. You can't tell we're all wearing gear. So you can't actually tell you're fighting a man or a woman until mm -hmm. they yell, uh, you know, do the ki when they're attacking. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's awesome. I'm gonna have to check that out. It's fun. It's fun. I mean, really, I wouldn't be doing it for, you know, there's all the philosophy behind it. But if, I wasn't, if it wasn't fun, I wouldn't be doing it, right? Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. Uh, it's been a blast. I've enjoyed it. I've got some things running through my head to like think about and figure out. So uh, I appreciate it. Um, if you guys want to follow Ray or you want to check out Live Lingua, I will put the link in the show notes or in the video notes, whatever. So you can follow him, get in touch. You want to take that second language, start there. Start, there you go. Start there. And then move so, overseas, right? Yes, that's, then that's move the overseas. <laughs> take the big leap. Do what you do what you want to, you know. Live your dream. Yeah. Live your dream. And I, I think that's kind of what I get from this. And there's more than one way to get there. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Lito.